Hello, and welcome to JAT Chat, presented by the Journal of Athletic Training, the official journal of the National Athletic Trainers Association. My name is Dr. Kara Radzak, and I'm currently an assistant professor at UNLV and the host of JAP Chat. The purpose of tonight's event is to provide an open forum for athletic trainers and other allied health care professionals to ask questions and discuss the recently published special issue on the intersection of athletic training and public health. This special issue was published in April, and we thought this would be a great time to talk with the editorial team members, Dr. Mark Norcross, Dr. Sam Johnson, and Dr. Mark Hoffman. All three are members of the editorial team and faculty members at the College of Public Health and Human Sciences at Oregon State University, where they work in the accredited athletic training program. In order to make today go smoothly, we ask that you submit your questions in the Facebook Live comments section or as a tweet at JAT underscore NATA using the hashtag, hashtag JAT chat, all one word. At this point, I would like to introduce Drs. Johnson, Norcross, and Hoffman. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. <laughs> So this is an interesting JT chat because I've got all three of y'all here with me today. And I first wanted to start off with, could you provide a little bit of background information of how did this special issue come about? Sure, I'll, and maybe I'll just jump in and start uh, to get the ball rolling. Uh, as uh, many people are aware, we had an athletic training and public health summit uh, on the campus of Oregon State University a few years back. And following that, uh, part of the discussion that we had uh, among the three of us was that there was likely an opportunity to approach JET and uh, have a discussion with them about having a special issue. Uh, it was a really relatively easy discussion, uh, good support from uh, Dr. Craig Denninger at that time and the editorial team. And um, I think we were all a little scared when they said yes, uh, because then uh, then the work had to begin. But uh, we really appreciate the opportunity to um, to bring this issue forward. And one of the things that I noticed, and that many of the readers probably noticed, is that there's a wide variety of different um, genres of research, all housed within this umbrella of public health. So we're very familiar with epidemiology, but could you give a little bit more insight in what all public health encompasses and how did you select the different manuscripts? Yeah, I can try to tackle that one. I think when we came into this, we really tried to um, bring the idea that public health really is not a uh, area study so much as it is uh, an approach to how you view problems. And so we really look at it in ways in which um, we can do things at a population level, and that's really broadly defined. That could be your community, your school, it could be national, statewide. And so we kind of purposely tried to find um, topics that would be of interest to athletic trainers, but wanted them broad, um, and broadly enough that we could see how exactly common things athletic trainers are doing are really um, maybe able to move the needle a little bit by taking a different approach in the way we look at those same problems. And so it was much less um, topic oriented and more, again, this sort of population level approach to, to address these issues. Thank you. That actually leads really nicely into a question that we have from the audience. 
and that is how can clinicians and researchers alike get more involved in population-based research within their local community? You want to give Sam? You want to you want to take that one to start? Yeah, I mean, Let's go around the horn, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, already a little bit of a chance here. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I guess one thing that, you know, to kind of go back to add on to what Mark was saying, I think one of the things about public health is that it really centers around prevention. And I think as athletic trainers, we've really, uh, you know, said that for a long time that we're in a unique role or, you know, somewhat of a unique role to really do prevention, preventative work. Um, and I think that kind of, you know, fits nicely with the public health approach because that's what public health is really trying to do, you know, just at a population level. Um, and so I think, it's important for us to be able to uh, try to do, you know, to help illustrate to other people what we are doing in prevention uh, and trying to prevent, uh, you know, not just injuries, but also illnesses. And I think it can also be sometimes a challenge if you're not a researcher, how do you get involved in this? Uh, and, and maybe that's, you know, I, I, I'm struggling here a little bit to come up with, like, if you're not a researcher, I mean, I think it's trying to get involved with the public health folks. And one thing, you know, my background, I'm not trained as a public health researcher. Uh, but one thing by jumping into this, one of the things that we've been able to do is work with individuals that are trained in public health, either in the college or at the state level. I've, you know, started to work closely with a number of individuals at the state level of public health. And one thing that's been really interesting about them is they've never said no. Uh, they want all the help they can get. Uh, and they've really come to appreciate the role that athletic trainers provide, uh, or can play, but also, uh, you know, we do a lot of work at the high school level, um, and they have really been impressed by the high school's uh, activities association and the reach they have. So by partnering, it's been really interesting because they want all the help they can get. And so I think it's, you know, you know, yeah, you may, they may say, my experience hasn't been, they haven't, been, they haven't said no uh, yet, uh, but you got to keep, you got to be persistent, um, you know, and I think that's maybe one um, one avenue to try to start looking at this. I don't know if Mark or Mark have any other ideas as well. Yeah, I guess what I would add is that I think it's only as limited for the clinician as as is their view of what public health is. You know, um, the other Mark uh, indicated, you know, early on in his comments that it really is a lens at, at which uh, you use to view your work. And so as an athlete trainer, if you view your work uh, working at a population level, however you define that, is that your team, is it your school, is it your community, um, all of that work is public health. So uh, finding opportunities to engage in uh, policy development and preventative act activities uh, in uh, health and wellness and health promotion, all of those things fit under this umbrella of public health. Yeah, and, and I'll add just one last thing because I do think that question probably comes from the fact that it can be pretty daunting that people, um, as a single clinician, how can I really affect a population? And I think one thing that uh, may be important to recognize is just for individuals to try to do whatever they can. It may be that what an individual can do in their setting with their um, the time they have in a job is to help contribute to some larger data sets. Maybe they can collect simple um, patient report outcome measures that can be fed into larger ones. Maybe they do serve on certain committees and they can help drive conversations about what is it that certain stakeholders need to know that would help drive the profession forward and can they at least pose the questions to others to help facilitate answering those. So I think um, you know each individual person is going to have to sort of sort out what their capacity may be 
but I don't think, I think everybody can play a role and the role shouldn't just be collecting data for other folks. I think it needs to be engagement in what are the problems, what are those questions we need answered, um, whether or not they're gonna be the ones who actually do the answering or, or making connections. And I think that just, I think, can create a membership that's a little more engaged to really um, get at these really complex problems. So talking about this, um, these big population data sets, um, how do you think that big data and athlete monitoring are going to influence collaborations between health, public health and sports medicine moving forward? <laughs> yeah, another tough one. Um, yeah. Our listeners, they uh, definitely have some good questions, huh? I mean, I think we've started having some conversations about that. Um, and I think as um, the technology continues to advance and the utility of that technology and that data uh, advances, I think it's gonna open up new opportunities uh, to answer different questions, but also look at things uh, that have traditionally been done uh, in a different way. Um, and, and I think that's, I think there's some opportunities there, but I don't think we know where it's gonna end up yet. Um, and, but I think people are starting to dig into that a little bit to, you know, to see, to see what is out there and what is possible. I think probably one of the biggest opportunities is um, using that information to support the development of policy. Uh, there's been, athletic trainers have been involved in uh, sports safety policy for a while, but there continues to be opportunities to uh, have policies be a little bit more data driven uh, with the, um, also with the notion that if a policy is developed, then there needs to be data to help assess the effectiveness of the implementation of that policy. So I think data is really going to be helpful on both sides of that. And I think leveraging the big data really allows you to generalize um, to multiple groups. And it also is what resonates likely with larger stakeholders who can affect policy change. And so being able to document what we as athletic trainers can do, create to show that we need a policy and then to circle back and assess the policy implementation really makes, um, I think that's where you can leverage the, the large data sets to be able to inform that as opposed to small based single site studies that may be getting at the same topic, but again, not being able to leverage the number of observations you'd have in a big data set. So continuing with this idea of looking forward, you mentioned in the editorial the 2015 summit, and you kind of introduced that a little bit already. What are the next steps? How do you think public health and athletic training are moving forward? What's changed since 15, and what's going to come in the future? Well, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll just give a, a little bit of a big picture as to uh, some of the things that have changed. I think that the leadership in the profession has recognized this as an important uh, area for athletic trainers to be involved. Uh, there's good support from President Lindley uh, to move uh, athletic trainers forward in uh, doing population uh, health work. Uh, and a lot of times we'll use those terms interchangeably, public health and population health. Uh, as well as I, there are some other places within the association uh, administrative structure where they're looking to formalize a little bit more of uh, 
public health and athletic training intersections. So from, a, from an association standpoint, uh, that's one of the major places where I think some things have changed. I think a lot of, um, uh, I think the interest in this has really been shown as well in the, the next issue of the JIT that really had the athletic training research agenda. If we kind of look at the components of that research agenda, you can find threads of this notion of public health embedded through pretty much all of those areas in the research agenda. And I think one thing that's nice about that that speaks to Mark's point is that's an agenda that has been um, basically accepted and supported by all four of the main players in the strategic alliance. So I think there is growing momentum. I don't think as a profession, we fully understand exactly how to harness it yet, but I think that's what's exciting is that we can sort of grow as, I mean, none of us are public health trained, but I do think in some respects, we're people trained and prevention trained. And so how can we kind of adopt and leverage and try and inter intersect with some individuals who maybe have the formal training, but that we can add context in terms of what those results may mean. Uh, and so I think that's where we can, I hope I see this going the next few years or, or down the line. So Mark, you bring up the strategic alliance and one of the questions that was posed to us is, what role can AT programs play in promoting this population-based approach while involving students, preceptors, and faculty in the process? So our other strategic alliance partners like the BOC and, uh, and Katie, how, can, how do you see that fitting in with that? So, I, I mean, I think we see some of that already in some new competencies that really speak to understanding some population level um, approaches or understanding social determinants of health. Those are all buzzwords in public health. So I think there's already a trend from an educational standard perspective that this is happening. Um, I do think that as educators with our students, we can also um, really try and impart that our pool as athletic trainers or our reach is broader than just athletes. And it's, it's broader than just providing healthcare, but can we do things where we attend to individuals who have lower SES status, individuals who don't have greater access to care? And these are all kinds of things that really have a public health impact that I think I certainly was never knew about them during my athletic training education. So I think just raising some awareness um, granted, there's a whole lot more they have to learn in those programs, but if they just become aware of these sorts of issues, then it may sort of be the next line of individuals who get to be on committees and be active in the profession that can help drive them forward. So all of y'all are educators. How are you integrating this into the curriculum at Oregon State and into your teaching? Sam, as clinical coordinator, do you want to start with that one? Yeah, I, was, no, I, I yeah. almost directed that to Sam, yeah. yeah, no, I, yeah I mean, um, you know, in my specific classes, I mean, I think it's been infused kind of throughout in different ways. Um, and so, for example, I, I teach a class on administration, and obviously there's a lot of policy development in there. But it's not just writing the policy. I mean, it's talking about how do you actually effectively implement the policy. Uh, it's one thing, okay, I have this policy, but if no one follows it, it's probably not a very good policy. Uh, and so we spend a lot more time on that now than I probably did when I first started teaching the class, you know, 15 years ago. Um, it's just, uh, you know, it, it's looking at it a different way. And I think that is, you know, a health promotion way. And so, um, you know, and just trying to infuse it in different classes. And it's been interesting, the students really embrace it um, and, and, have, and have really taken it, you know, in different ways. And 
you know, ways that I probably wouldn't have been able to take as <laughs> when I was in their place. Um, and it's also been interesting, as, as Mark was mentioning this, I kind of popped in my head that we actually have some students that have public health undergraduate degrees that are now coming into athletic training because they see that intersection and they say, oh, I can use what I did in my undergrad, come to a graduate program in athletic training. And so I think it's, it's kind of, it's an exciting time uh, to, to see these young professionals and what they're going to be able to do to help the profession. I mean, we are, we are fortunate in our college because we are in a college of public health and human sciences uh, that a, a lot of the, the lens uh, for the entire college obviously is public health. So uh, we try to uh, infuse that as often as we can with our examples uh, uh, in our classrooms. Uh, yeah. So in addition to being editors, Mark and Sam, you were co-authors on one of the manuscripts that was included. And um, one of the viewers said that they noticed an interesting study regarding the cost benefit of employing athletic trainers in Oregon high schools. How do ATs use findings of this paper or that paper specifically to advocate for increased AT presence in the secondary school environment? Mark, you want to start on that or you want me to? I was going to say, I'm, I'm out of this one easily. So. Yeah. <laughs> I'll let you take the lead on that one to start and then I'll add. Yeah, so I think one of the things that we've talked about for a long time, well, let me step back and kind of the genesis of this. Um, so Mark uh, and myself and some other stakeholders from around the state, uh, uh, Dr. Keister, who's on that, is also on, the, uh, on that paper, along with our school activities association started having some conversation actually generated from the athletic training public health summit about how do we get more athletic trainers in high schools um, and we just started having conversations with some other physicians other stakeholders in the state and said let's just try to get a meeting with some uh, some of the state legislatures and see what they think and so you know mark and myself dr keister um, and a few other people had a meeting with the state senate president and uh, one of the other state senators who's a physician and just kind of pitched this, pitched this idea of how do we get more athletic trainers in, in high schools? Um, and it very quickly came out of that is, well, you have to show us the data. Uh, you know, sh show us, it's gonna cost this money. We can't have an unfunded mandate. How do we make this work? Um, and so since we're in the College of Public Health uh, and Human Sciences, we started asking around and uh, found a collaborator in uh, Tao Lee, who is, um, does health policy work here. And we had a couple of meetings with them. He said, okay, I think we know how we can kind of start uh, digging into this. And so in Oregon, there's a, what's called the all payers, all claims data set. And so all claims, public and private insurance uh, are in this data set. Um, and Tao Lee said, okay, we, we can dig into this and see. And so what we did in this first paper um, was we looked at schools that had, and so we, we basically, um, we have four years of data, four years of claims data. And so we looked at schools uh, that had athletic trainers for at least part of those four years and didn't for the other part. Um, and we looked at the claims data for those four schools before when they had an athletic trainer and when they did it, just to look to see if what the, um, you know, if there was a, a positive return on investment of having the athletic trainer available. Um, and so, one thing we found is it didn't appear necessarily from a, just a return on investment standpoint that there was uh, a benefit, uh, but as we dug into it a little bit more, uh, one of the things we realized is that in, it was a very small sample uh, that uh, uh, of schools that we looked at that met that inclusion criteria of having an athletic trainer for part of the time and not the other part. 
Um, and then we dug into a little bit more is all of them were outreach, athletic trainers that served in an outreach role. Um, and I think that starts raising some interesting questions about, you know, you know, towards the results. Um, was it because they don't, they're not at the school full time? Uh, is it, you know, it's limited hours? Is it other things in terms of revenue generation? A lot of questions are unanswered. Um, but I, I think the other piece, and it talks about it a little bit in that um, manuscript, is that, you know, I think we talk a lot about cost uh, of the athletic trainers and maybe not some of the other benefits the athletic trainers will bring. And I think one of the things that already mentioned earlier about greater access to care, uh, you know, that is really important, um, you know, in, in, in the greater, in the broader healthcare landscape right now is it's not just, a, I mean, we do need to contain cost, but it also is how do we get greater access, greater utilization. Um, I don't know, Mark, you want to jump in and add anything? Yeah, no, I think you covered that paper pretty well. I, I think it opened our eyes a little bit because it is not what we expected um, and really made us think about that. Oftentimes we hear about, let's make sure we have athletic trainers in high schools and we haven't necessarily thought, well, what is the employment model they have? And and so if an athletic training, if an athletic trainer is in a high school by way of a clinic, there may be an incentive for that individual to refer back to the clinic who can bill for services. So it's not that the athletic trainer isn't doing um, improving care at the school, but it begs, um, you know, it's not surprising then that you wouldn't have a cost savings if you're not actually doing the care in lieu of billing for service. So trying to think a little bit about how that model is. But um, the other thing that that paper really started to show, and we've done some subsequent work um, that's been published, is that it also appears that there's this differential effect on whether patients have Medicaid or whether they're on commercial insurance. And so I think um, uh, as athletic trainers, one thing I was surprised in doing this is some of the things that we had to have um, cost billed for is that things like ankle sprains or, or things that as athletic trainers, we would say need care and should be seen. They're actually things that in many states don't qualify for Medicaid patients to be seen and treated for so that they might get an initial visit for an ankle sprain. They're not covered to go get rehabilitation on that ankle sprain. And so there are things that are likely happening and anecdotally that some of the people in our state will say is, yeah, we treat those kids in my training room or my athletic training room or I take them over to the clinic and because we can't bill, but because I know they need that care. So there, it's, it's actually a difficult thing to put um, a number on because it's it's increasing access and increasing care, but there's not a dollar return because those dollars never actually hit the system. And so I think that is actually really valuable though as athletic trainers, if we're thinking about um, moving forward and reducing waste is that we provide service that is actually um, probably hopefully preventing long-term issues, but doing so without billing every time for it, which is not, there aren't many providers that get to say that. Yeah, and I think, you know, what Mark's alluding to there and was talked about a little bit earlier, but is disparities, right? I mean, and that's a public health, you know, we're talking about determinants of health and other, you know, SES disparities. I mean, and what role do athletic trainers play in that um, in helping, you know, minimize those disparities? Um, and I think there's some interest. I mean, there's the paper, uh, the other paper in the, in the special issue with that. I know there's some other groups kind of looking into that. And so I think it's something that we as athletic trainers are probably doing as, you know, if you're working in, you know, as a cl clinically uh, already, uh, but if we really embrace it and, and told people, hey, we're doing this, we were really trying to work in these areas. And so I think there's some other opportunities that our public health approach is a public health approach, but we just haven't uh, really, you know, told everyone that we're doing it. So then how do you recommend clinicians that are, 
that are learning more, reading this special article, how do we utilize this to be our own advocates for um, that health disparities? How, how do we show that as athletic trainers, we're potentially really meeting this health disparity need? Yeah, another good question. Uh, and I know Mark, Mark Hoffman, you can jump in here because I think some of the stuff you're tr trying to work on a little bit is you know, kind of related to this uh, you know, with, with asthma education. I don't, um, but, but I do think we can do a better job you know, I'll put it this way: uh, when we when we got some of the results from some of these uh, these analyses using the claims data, we were kind of perplexed by some of them, and we were really struggling to figure out, okay, how do we answer this? And so, I actually had another conversation with a athletic trainer that works in a high school that was is a immediate call about something else. I said, "Let me just throw this out to you." And he, his, his response was, "Yeah, it makes total sense to me." And he started to explain his practice pattern and, and the way he approached it, and individuals that were um, on Medicaid and how he dealt with that um, as an athletic trainer is like, and so I think he's already doing it, um, but we just haven't advocated and saying we're already doing this because it's just kind of part of the job. Um, and, and so I think it is making people aware of that, making you know the administrator administration aware of it, uh, working with their state uh, athletic training organizations because legislators need to know that. I don't think people understand what we do on an everyday basis uh, to, to try to eliminate disparities, but just make the population healthier. Um, I mean, we, we serve a, a really important role, but we've always kind of stayed behind the scenes and, and not really tried to let people know, hey, we're out here, we're doing this. Yeah, I, I think it, it might be time for the athlete trainer to think about how we show our value. Uh, and historically, we have tried to just show it by numbers, with reimbursements, with cost savings. Uh, and like Sam said, as we start talking about doing asthma education in uh, schools and decreasing the number of school days missed by kids and decreasing number of hospital visits by kids. Uh, that's typically not going to save, um, probably not going to save the school directly a whole lot of money, um, but it is going to decrease uh, load on the system. It's going to decrease uh, load in the emergency rooms and doctor's offices. Uh, and hopefully lead to increased health of the population. Um, so it might be difficult for us to show that exact value uh, in dollars and cents that, uh, that we've been trying to show will exceed the salary that's being paid for the athletic trainer. Um, but as we look at how they can contribute to the overall health of uh, uh, the population they're working in, uh, we just probably need to be finding more creative ways to demonstrate our value as opposed to just dollars and cents. And an easy first step may just be documentation. Just record as allowed by law <laughs> what you're doing and um, to be able to show not anecdotally, this is what I'm, I think this is what my practice pattern is, but to demonstrate this is actually what I did in my high school this year. If you're part of a bigger district, maybe all four or five athletic trainers in the district now pool that information with the district level. And I think those are sort of simple steps that um, get at the idea of trying to pool resources and let that make a stronger statement that aren't, um, are things that are being done already, but they just, you're not formally, I don't think that we've formally sort of taken it upon ourselves as a profession to demonstrate that value that's not just saving money. It's what else we're doing. Um, and that's probably where our, we're more valuable than saving money on the system. 
even yeah. if it's just documenting patient education. It may just be a start because what is the top ten? Sam and I serve on a, the Sports Medicine Advisory Committee in Oregon. They're not many of these kids are not getting patient education and their well child care visits quickly in the ten minutes in and out. You know their source of information for lots of things may be the conduit is through the athletic trainer in their school on on lots of issues well beyond orthopedic injuries. And so um, I think that is a big role that can play in. Um, many states really, uh, public health departments look, Sam alluded to this, outlets like athletics because it's a way they can get their message out and they struggle to find avenues to reach their end audience. Athletic trainers are a great source of that as a conduit right into the school. And so um, I think whether it's education, it's who you're treating, what you're doing, all of those pieces, um, maybe it's as, just as simple as documentation to begin with. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think it's important, you know, one of the things, you know, talking to legislators, I mean, just showing, you know, the number of patient encounters an athletic trainer has on a daily basis, whether that, you know, talking about from a legislators for the high school level, but even for the, you know, in the college setting or the industrial setting, uh, you know, just patient encounters. I mean, it's, you know, we see a lot of people, we give a lot of healthcare advice. Uh, and I think those numbers can be really large and really eye-opening and very impactful. Uh, and that may be the first step. Um, you know, to, to do it that way. But then, you know, you know, going back to the special issue, you know, you can do a more formal quality improvement uh, approach like, you know, the uh, Dr. Ellen Janley's paper in that really kind of dove into that and kind of gets at a more, um, in a mo more robust way. But it, so I think there's a continuum that we can kind of work through depending on what the capacity is. I think Mark already mentioned that. You had to understand your capacity and, and what you want to get out of it. Um, but I think there's a lot of opportunities for all of us to contribute. Thank you guys. So is there going to be any discussion-based sessions at NETA focused on the public health or any way to continue this conversation at convention? There is. Um, so Sam and I, along with uh, Kenny Lamb from uh, AT Still, will be having a, a session that's um, really centers around the triple aim of healthcare. So. Um, and it's going to speak to a lot of these ideas of how do we um, basically provide better care, contain costs, and improve um, the overall well-being of our patients. And so we're going to um, use some of this information that's out there, but also um, really try and speak to much of what many of the questions have been today of how can athletic trainers engage and at what level. Um, and it'll, it'll have a little bit more information as well about sort of um, some of the public health framework, um, which... If people are interested in this topic, I think we'll sort of set the stage for as we delve into each of those three arms of the triple aim. Great. So, Mark, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that uh, that hopefully, as this gains momentum within the profession, that there will be more opportunities uh, at the national meeting for us to maybe have have an open forum for people to come and share ideas. Um, one of the things I think we struggle with a little bit is some structure around uh, organizing this effort. And, and hopefully with some support from the association, we're getting there. Uh, and so in years to come, uh, maybe we'll be a little bit more organized and be able to um, bring certain programming uh, or at least opportunities for discussion uh, to the membership, uh, particularly at the annual meeting. So to wrap up with, we had, you guys 
hosted the um, summit in 2015. There's going to be a presentation at the national convention this year. You know, what are the next we steps? We see a lot of people. We get um, a lot what of are the next steps beyond the summit is to disseminate this data, um, to move this work of athletic training and public health forward? I'll take the easy one and let these guys jump in. Uh, I, I am working pretty hard with the leadership of the organization to, to discuss, have discussions related to another summit. Um, at least I think the three of us feel pretty strongly uh, that there is a need for another summit. Momentum has grown to the point where uh, it needs to happen. Uh, so we're trying to figure that out. Yeah, and beyond that, I think it's, um, I think the issue is actually a testament to the next steps. I think as you look down the list of authors and groups, it, we are by no means the only individuals or only group that is interested in this. I think that's been very evident that there are multiple groups across the country that um, have probably in some ways been more associated with, with specific topical areas, but that are really embedding this idea of a population approach. And I think next steps are getting um, as we have young um, individuals who are coming through those programs perhaps they're having their eyes open and they've learned some techniques that we don't have so they're maybe um, athletic training public health professionals beyond epidemiology alone um, and then i think the other big step is how can we do a great job and where it makes sense to engage people on the ground not to collect data for us but rather to engage with them to help um, figure out what questions need to be answered and then strategically devise what uh, those studies so that we're doing it in a way that's going to speak to whatever stakeholder can help move that needle forward because depending upon who you're going to relay that information to that's going to be structured differently but I think that is probably the biggest place where clinicians can help is that they understand what the problems are more than any researcher does and so um, helping to develop what those questions will be, um, whether or not that's all it is, and whether maybe that's more discussion at places like the national meeting. Um, I think that's what will drive this forward because otherwise we sit on campus and we take a guess of what we think is going on, but without that engagement of people actually in those settings, um, it, it's just not as valuable. Yeah, and I would say, I mean, I think it's a great point. And from a researcher's perspective is, you know, engage the community, engage the population that you really want to be and find out what their needs are. So I think Mark said that greatly. But I think from the clinician perspective, you know, is the clinician asking, you know, you know, what can I do to help? You know, and it's not, you know, and uh, thinking about, you know, what are those, um, those things you can do? Uh, and it may be the very small steps, but they could actually have a lot of impact, um, you know, or it could be if you have more capacity doing more things. I think, and so it's trying to think of, you know, what are the needs that are out there? You know, you know, your stakeholders. You know, what what do they need? And so it's just this idea of really collaboration. Like, how do we? How can we work together to try to solve these problems? Because we're all trying to improve, you know, the health of the patient, but really the health of the population. And I think that's the the key thing to keep in mind. Thank you, and thank you all so much for um, joining us tonight. So, Dr. Hoffman, Dr. Norcross, and Dr. Johnson, thank you again for uh, providing your time to let us chat about um, the special issue.
and to all of the viewers and listeners out there, thank you for interacting and allowing us to have this conversation tonight and bring the findings off the pages of JAT and into your clinical practice. And if anybody out there is interested in learning some more about the special issue, I highly recommend you listen to JAT Cast that is providing some summaries of the special issue manuscripts and thank you guys all again for joining us tonight. Thanks for thank having you. us. Yeah, thank you very much.